I need another wife. Find me another wife. And he's like, there's, there's no one left, dude. You're killing everyone. And... <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Welcome back, No Script listeners. This is another episode of No Script, the podcast, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back in again. We're so excited to have you as we are every week. If this, for some reason, is your first episode of No Script, a special hello to you. For those of you who've been with us for a while, we're excited that you're back. And we're excited that you might be here for your second episode about this playwright. Yeah, we are returning to what what season was the last time we talked about it? Was it last season? No, it was season 1. Actually very season early one. in our no script career, we visited this playwright and we've traveled around the world, around the centuries, and we've <laughs> returned uh, uh, Mary Zimmerman holds a really special place in my heart not only for her incredible directing sensibilities, which is a director is something that I'm just in awe of, especially her work in opera. It, it's just been incredible. Incredible, but as a playwright, Mary Zimmerman is incredible as well. And the first time we talked about her, we talked about her script *Metamorphosis*, which remains at nearly the very top of my list of plays of all time. And we are here today to talk about another of her plays, *The Arabian Nights*. Yeah, another one that's almost like a mythic structure, a mythic adaptation of of a of of something from the past that is brought forward. Obviously, the one thousand and one Arabian Nights stories um, of of the, of the book. So we're gonna get into the context in a minute. But yeah, I'm I'm super excited to jump into this one. So much great storytelling. Before we do so, though, I do want to take just a second and point all of you over. Uh, via audio to our Patreon page. Uh, as we've said before, making this show is a labor of love for us. We love getting to talk about these scripts with each other and with you. Uh, alas, it is not a free endeavor. There are some fees associated with us keeping up this show, uh, both with uh, podcast hosting, but also keeping up with scripts and, and buying whatever scripts we can't find in our local library. So if you are a longtime supporter of the show and you are looking for a way to help out and keep this uh, no script community moving forward, head over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. You're going to find our page over there. You're going to find a bunch of different tiers that you can uh, sign up for as a patron. And the lowest tier is $1, just $1. And you're able to help out the show so much with that $1 amount. We have a bunch of patron only only posts over there. We also at the $5 level, we'll give you like producer credit and say your name at the top of the show. So, so uh, check us out over there at patreon.com slash no script podcast, and we will see you over there. Absolutely. Please, please, please visit us over at patreon.com slash no script podcast. You'll be huge help to the work that we're doing if you can head over there, like Jackson said. And now back to the script. So this script was originally produced in 1992, shockingly, if you know anything about Mary Zimmerman, you know I'm being sarcastic, at Looking <laughs> Glass Theater. Obviously, Mary Zimmerman is highly associated with Looking Glass Theater, despite also being an incredible director over at the Goodman. Uh, Looking Glass is really the theater where she is most known for producing a lot of the, the really incredible Mary Zimmerman things that she's done. Um, it was produced, like I said, 1992 there. It transferred over and was produced in New York City at the Manhattan Theater Club in 1994. Jackson did notice that in that Manhattan Theater Club production, one of the members of the cast was a playwright that we had talked about recently, Bruce Norris, the playwright behind Clybourne Park, which we discussed, what, a few weeks ago, was uh, in that original New York City premiere of The Arabian Nights um, so, so that's a cool touchstone. It's cool that we just recently talked about that script and we discover that little tidbit here. Like Jackson mentioned earlier as well, this play is an adaption of an ancient collection of Middle Eastern folk tales, basically. The collection is called 1001 Nights. 
why it will become clear as Jackson does the synopsis, but that's kind of the, the, the original context for these stories. As they've been transferred into English, they're a little more commonly known as Arabian Nights, or as Mary Zimmerman titled it, The Arabian Nights. There's a whole framework for all of the stories that Jackson will go into. Um, you might note, however, that out of these stories commonly associated with this collection is things like Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp, uh, Sinbad. Um, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. These these stories come out of A Thousand and One Nights. Now, Mary Zimmerman, when she wrote the script, did not choose to include these particular stories. She chose a, a little less commonly known ones. And we might discuss why. But that collection of stories is where some of our more more commonly known Arabic folk tales come from. Yeah, certainly within our within our uh, Western perspective, that a lot of them are similar. There are some similar names in here that you'll hear. Uh, Yafar or Jafar um, is uh, one of the names in there. Uh, so, so yeah, there's there's all sorts of similarities that we'll I'm sure we'll suss out a couple of them. Uh, context wise, I'm going to contextualize the play itself. I don't have the uh, the know how or the 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 context of the actual book, A Thousand and One Nights. So I'm just going to tell you what happens in the script. In the script, the uh, the main king, uh, King Sharyar, is how we're going to be pronouncing it. For, first of all, forgive our often poor pronunciation of some Arabic words in here, and there will be there will be a number of them. We have um, chosen to fail confidently right. in this pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the king named uh, Sharyar is uh, is king and he discovers that his wife is cheating on him. He in, in, in kind of a traumatic moment walks in on on his wife and her lover having sex. And his response is to kill both of them pretty brutally. Um, uh, we open the play with him strangling his wife. Um, so so it's it's a, a big beat for him. And uh, he then continues this trend in that he is looking for another wife, kind of, and uh, continuously in, uh, marries a woman, is with her for a night, and then strangles her in the morning. Um, and this this pattern continues for a long time to the point that families are leaving, <laughs> leaving town, leaving the country to try to protect their families. Because night after night, he just, he kills each of these women as the dawn comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, until to the point that he turns to his trusted advisor, the wazir, and uh, asks him, "Why are I need another wife? Find me another wife." And he's like, "There's, there's no one left, dude. You're killing everyone." And, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> the king says, "Well, you have two daughters, don't you? Bring me your daughter. It's fine. She will be a queen for a night. You should be blessed." Which I, I haven't seen the show, but I can only imagine in the first, you know, this is the first five minutes of the show, this moment where the wazir says, "There's no girls left," and the king says, "Don't you have two daughters?" Has got yeah. to be just a dramatic punch, just to mm -hmm. start the play right away. Start there. Don't you have two daughters? Yep. <laughs> you just kind of feel the floor beginning to sink out from under this guy. And and he does have two daughters. One of them is named, she uh, here we go, Scheherazade. Um, and uh, the other one is Dunyazad. Um, and uh, Dunyazad is quite young, like uh, probably maybe even preteen. Uh, and Scheherazade is a little bit older. And, and their dynamic is these, these two sisters. And Scheherazade constantly tells Dunyazad stories to get her to fall asleep at night. Um, and so the vizier comes to, or the wazir comes to uh, his two daughters and says, you have to marry the king. And, uh, and uh, or run is, away, right? I mean, those are the right. options presented. We can all run away as all the other families have done, or this is the option and he's going to kill you. Yep. And Scheherazade is like, game. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, yes, I have a plan and it's going to work. I'm going to save the whole country. And then to the point that the vizier is like, are you, are you sure you're, you're going to die? She's like, no, no, no. Set it up. We're going to do this. And, uh, and Dunyazad is going to help me. So it's, she uh, goes to the king and uh, gets Dunyazad to kind of say a couple key lines that clues in the fact that she knows a lot of great stories 
and the king kind of like takes the bait a little bit. It's a very tense scene, and we're going to talk about a bunch of these tense scenes uh, as we go through it, but he has a knife to her throat. He's threatening her. He's basically saying, we're going to be together tonight, and then I'm going to kill you in the morning, and she starts telling a story. Not only that, she gets him to ask for a story through through this uh, some some kind of cunning uh, wordage between her sister Dunyazad. Sherazad starts telling these stories, and they're they're beautiful stories. They're storytelling, and they're deep. They're multiple stories deep in some instances, where she will be telling a story about a character telling a story, and then you'll walk your way out of that character telling a story, and then it'll move laterally to another character who tells a story. So it's this this brilliant game that Scheherazade plays, really for the whole script, that keeps the king interested in the story, so that when dawn comes. And, and the time comes for the king to kill her, as is his pattern. He's so interested in the story that he can't kill her. And there's a beautiful routine that gets established, a beautiful, haunting, terrible routine, which is that as the dawn comes, day after day, uh, the Scheherazade's father shows up with her burial shroud. He's there to collect the body, morning after morning. And the routine becomes, she says... She finishes or she 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 cliffhangs basically in the middle of the story as the dawn comes and the king says, why did you stop there? Wherever she's at in whatever various story. And she says, well, the dawn is here. My father's here with his shroud. And the, the king says, you know, your father can wait one more day. And this goes on, and this is where the title of the original book of stories, 1001 Nights, comes from, is that Scheherazade, through her storytelling, manages to keep herself alive across 1001 nights. And we'll, we'll arrive later in our conversation at what happens on the 1001st night. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a story, it's, I mean, it's, it winds up being a story of a lot of different people. <laughs> As a result of that, because we're invited into these uh, sometimes uh, almost parabolic stories that she's telling, other times just like narrative stories that she's bringing up. So we the the kind of unique nature of this play in particular is you you know that there's a meta narrative going on the whole play. Scheherazade is trying to either just live or uh, you know help the king become a better person and we can debate whether or not what her goals are. Um, but, uh, there's that meta narrative, but then you're invited into these sub narratives, these other narratives that you, 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 you get uh, uh, distracted in for most of the play the same way that the King does. Yeah. And this was what makes this group of stories a little bit different than the other script of hers that we talked about. Mary Zimmerman's metamorphosis, where there's a similar plot of, it being just a collection of stories with, um, you know, in Metamorphosis, there's just very little to tie the stories together. There's some artistic thematic connection across the play, but the stories themselves sort of stand on their own. And actually, each story is, is kind of a new imagining, a new world, a new style of storytelling. Whereas this play, they're a little bit more tied together stylistically, and they're definitely more tied together in terms of the framework of the play. This meta-narrative of Scheherazade maintaining her life night to night by telling the king stories that kind of external framework doesn't exist in metamorphosis yeah yeah absolutely it's still a very episodic plot in that there's a bunch of little stories that you, you just ping pong around within um but it I, I, you're absolutely right that there's like this 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 tie through it all still that that provides a reason for them all to be similarly tied together so in my script is about 130 pages long, just of the play script. Mary Zimmerman in her brilliant writing, brilliance, uh, includes a <laughs> lot of notes on either side. And I recall that she does the for metamorphosis as well. But in just play script, it's 130 pages. And the storytelling begins on page 11 and continues almost all the way to the end of that script. So it's a lot of pages of story. It's a lot mm -hmm. of stories. And not only that, but the playwright encourages actors to have a kind of free form nature about this 
this play. There are scenes where she straight up says, you should improv this whole scene. <laughs> or you should improv this list. Or you should just roll with whatever happens. So it's feasible that this play could be, you know, if you were to document some of the improving, it could be up to 150 pages if you wanted it to be. And it's all amazing. I mean, yeah. story to story, it's intriguing. It's, I don't know. I mean, it. part of what works so well in this script is the intentional sort of unholiness of the stories, right? I mean, part of the theme of the whole script is the power of storytelling in terms of creating empathy and healing in someone like the king. But at the same time, that effect is achieved through some deliberately unholy storytelling. I, I believe this is the second set of stories that Scheherazade tells. She's finished the first set of stories, and uh, this has taken several nights, or at least one night. A, a dawn routine has passed, and she, in the middle of one of these nights, she finishes this first story that she tells, and that ends with the king having a knife at her throat, saying, well, you finished your story, time to die. And she right. says, wait, 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 it's not dawn yet. I could start another story, king. And the king asks for some moral anecdotes. And she says, well, I can tell you some, but I, I want you to be warned that what you're going to hear might be a little bit crude. <laughs> might, uh, you know, it, this might not be appropriate for, for all listeners, if you know what I mean. Right, What right. are the kinds of stories I'm about to tell, O king? Yep. And I love it's it's just a it's a really fun line, series of lines, because there there's that. She says, you know, some of these to to an uncouth person or someone with a bent towards hearing lewd things, they might appear lewd. And he's his the king's response is don't let that stop you. <laughs> 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 and then he asks a, a pretty good question just in the reality of the, the external framework, which is, what's your little sister doing here? Right. <laughs> Should yeah. she be sitting and listening to these? And the quote of Shisharazad's is that they might these stories might seem licentious or lewd. Yeah. Should she be listening <laughs> to these licentious and lewd stories? <laughs> And the response is really interesting because that is a bit of a trap because Scheherazade is depending on her sister being there for a couple key moments. Like anytime that you need just a little bit of a cueing to be like, oh, remember this really interesting story? Uh, the sister jumps in with, with that sort of line. So her response is something like, oh, she's too young to understand what we're saying. <laughs> Like it'll be fine. She she just can't comprehend it. So so there's this this game back and forth between them through the whole play. So what are some of the kinds of stories that get told, Jackson? We'll we'll dig into you know each of them piece by piece. I'm sure. But in terms of the breadth of stories, there's quite a wide variety, aren't there? Yeah, it's 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 very all over the place. Most of them, though, I think probably intentionally on uh, Shahrazad's part, have something to do with relationships <laughs> and and the 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 problems that can develop between them. Uh, there's there there are some kind of as we've mentioned parabolic or like morals moral of the story style tales. But uh, there's there's a, a good a good chunk of them that aren't aren't that as well. Some of them are just straight up funny. Um, there's there's uh, I, I'm just looking at the list of them, and I think there's gosh there's like thirteen I'm thinking is what I'm looking at thirteen to fifteen different stories that are told within these diff these plays, and some of them are told over each other. There's a beautiful moment towards the end of the play where uh, time speeds up in the play, and uh, six stories are told simultaneously. So there are, um, let's see, there's the madman's tale, which is a beautiful tale right at the top of like this, uh, this guy. It's, 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 it's like, I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy for, for another story that it's like, but this guy 
receives a letter from a woman who says that she loves him and he's so pious that he rebuffs the letter. And right, and this is uh, one of those, I mean, right off the bat, we get story within a story, right? Because Scheherazade yeah. is telling the story of Harun al-Rashid, who is a repeating character through, if I had to guess without looking exactly at the number, probably more than half of the stories he appears in. And yeah. he's a king who is witness to a bunch of wild stories, I guess. <laughs> Lived a crazy <laughs> life. And yep. so she's telling the story of him. He's bored. He's sad. And so his, his, his wazir, who's Jafar, takes him to a madhouse to, dis- to talk to madmen, I guess, to entertain him, lift him out of his depression. And right. there he meets a madman who the uh, keeper of the keys even says doesn't really seem like he's that mad. <laughs> Right. So the king and this quote unquote madman, this this uh, they they talk and the madman starts to tell a story and the story is he was this really pious and upright shopkeeper who, yeah this uh, who uh, who would sell jewelry to to women and uh, he he got a letter from a lover and he rebuffed her and beat the the slave that she sent to to bring the letter and uh so then years pass and uh he <laughs> he uh try is trying to get married and uh she enters or this person enters and like seduces him You've uh, given away the goat <laughs> <laughs> not quite Spoilers, though <laughs> because yeah it's it, this uh, dancer sort of person who appears with an entourage seduces him and she keeps talking about how ugly she is and this shopkeeper he doesn't really see her as that ugly in fact she's quite stunning so he he's very confused but falls for her almost instantly and she says well my father thinks I'm so ugly that he wants to get you know, he's trying to get me married or actually he doesn't want me to be married but if you go to him and beg he'll let you marry me so he does the father says you know she's really ugly and he says yeah well I, I got it and uh they get married but he hasn't seen her yet so then his bride arrives who is the daughter of this father and well the the kind of crucial the crucial proper costume note is that she is obscured with uh with a full uh i, I believe it's a burqa or a full a full covering and uh and so she so he gets married to this woman and it turns out that i mean this is this is kind of maybe a crass (laughs) crass line of 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 um of words to be getting into but this woman that he marries is quite quite ugly and and terrifying to him and uh so he runs away and the next day she returns. This woman who he met in the shop returns. And who he's he like, thought was this guy's daughter. And he was, well, you're not ugly. You're incredibly beautiful. I'll marry you because everybody thinks I don't get it. But right. it, was, it was a trick, right? Yep, yep. It was a trick all along. And she reveals that I, what I revealed early on in this story, that she is, in fact, the woman who wrote him the letter all that time ago. And this is like her, her way of punishing him for that for all those years ago. But then, like, the story continues. You get even more interested. She's like, but don't worry. Now I'll help you out of this situation that you're in. And it starts a whole other little story on the way. And so she helps him divorce this woman that he didn't really intend to marry at the beginning. And then he and the perfect love end up together. Eventually, she is the one that has put him in the madhouse because I, I think because he didn't want to sleep with her. Like he was uh, like the twelfth time night. in a row or something like yeah. that. <laughs> he was tired, and she's and, like, he just needs to rest. <laughs> but, but the king that in the now we're back to the first level of the story, which is just the madman in the madhouse. <laughs> the king convinces this woman to release him, and they go off happily ever after. Right. Interesting that this the 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 king of the meta framework is where he is because he's deeply wounded and suffering as the result of being um, uh, 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 stabbed in the back by his wife, by a woman. And this very first story is the story of a woman who tricks a man. Right. (laughs) And I think that that's consistent throughout this, this telling. The stories that Scheherazade tells get the king to engage with fiction so that he can grapple with reality. And, 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 and engage around his problem, right? Because there's a world where she just punches it in the nose and tells the story about this poor king who was cheated on by his wife and needs to just get over it. Right. But she Which doesn't is, tell that story, really. Not at all. 
Yeah, the, the, that phrase, the get over it, is like almost specifically what she works against this whole time. Because she tells these kind of, uh, as you mentioned, in theme stories of someone being tricked. And it's not, and it's, and it's, it's not, it, the moral of the story is not get over it. It's, oh, well, you tell such a beautiful story, kind of, <laughs> that I'm going to, oftentimes the king plays like a deus ex machina role in a lot of these stories where he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Here's sense. Go live your life. This is what Scheherazade is working against. This is the king's feeling. I'm just going to read briefly a part of the poem that the king recites at the beginning, just after he's discovered that his wife has cheated on him and killed them both. Uh, He says, friends, trust not at all in women, smile at their promising, for they lower or they love at the caprice of their parts. Um, say not if I might love and yet escape the follies of loving, but rather only a miracle brings a man safe from love. He blames all women. He harbors a deep mistrust and hatred in his heart for women as a result of the pain that he's endured at the betrayal of his wife. And so Scheherazade is, is not only, right, there's there are two levels. She's trying to stay alive night to night through storytelling. There's this active threat against her life. But I think that she is clever enough and confident enough in her scheme to be playing that part and also working at this higher goal, which is telling this very specific sequence of stories to help the king uh, reestablish some empathy and some healing and some humanity after his hurt, right? Because the perfect love, which is the woman character that has tricked this madman into marrying this other woman, she ends up not being all that bad in the end, right? Yes, she tricked him, but they live happily ever after together, there's no yeah. permanent pain or damage caused to the madman as a result of her a momentary betrayal. Right. Yeah. If if anything, he's 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 kind of slept it off and winds up being just fine at the end. And and that that kind of pattern continues throughout the play. Like anytime someone gets in like a truly bad situation in the play, and it's like all hope is lost. You're gonna die. Someone's gonna murder you, or you're gonna be executed for what you've done. There is a, a, a turn where that character gets a chance at redemption. Um, I, I'm thinking of I think it's the second story now, which is which turns into like six stories, um, <laughs> wherein uh, a king makes his jester get married, and uh, and and the the jester doesn't want to get married. He's he says he's not he's he's afraid of women, uh, but he gets married nonetheless. He's he's specifically afraid that he will marry a woman who will cheat on him. Um, and, and so they, they, they get married and some months go by and he's like, I'm going to go. Just before you continue, Jackson, I do want to note just to connect what we said earlier. This is the story that is supposed to be a moral anecdote. Right. So keep that in your head as we're going. She's telling this story as a specific request from the king to tell a moral anecdote. Yeah. (laughs) So, so (laughs) they're, they're married for a couple months, this jester and his, and his new wife. And he leaves the house for like a party. And uh, she pretends that it's awful that he's leaving and that she'll miss him so much when he's gone. And but then says, I guess I'll just have to be happy that you're happy and have a good night. And so the jester leaves and one by one, uh, four, I think, <laughs> other lovers come. Uh, the, the There's kind of like almost like a liturgy that happens where she says, oh, my lover, you're early. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> and uh, all these there's a there's a butcher, there's a pastry chef, there's a farmer and there's a clarinetist. Um, and, and each of these people in sequence, uh, come to her place and are shoved into a closet as the next one comes as she's trying to like, and, keep and this notably the alive. same closet, actually the privy, <laughs> the bathroom, they're all yep. shoved in there together. And one by one, they discover each other. And then yep. the jester, her, her husband shows up and discovers them all. So right away, right? Scheherazade's supposed to tell a moral anecdote. And she tells the story of not a king, although a king is involved in the story. Again, it's actually the same king from the first story, Harun al-Rashid. And Harun al-Rashid's jester is the subject of this story. And he's been cheated on, right? He's Mm -hmm. been betrayed. Moral anecdote to the external framework king situation seems pretty clear. But because the second story is so complex with where it goes, it it's a little bit more subtle than a, just a straight up punch in the nose with the connection. And it and it displays that people don't necessarily need to die as a result of these things <laughs> because 
<laughs> right, because that's where that story ends up going. The jester yeah. drags these four men in front of the king, Harun al-Rashid, and says, deal with them. I told you I was going to get cheated on. And so the king is going to execute them all. And one by one, these men tell the king a story. All four of them tell a story to to earn their redemption, basically, earn a pardon so that they're not going to be killed. The stories they tell are wonderful and amazing in their own right. right. But the end of that story, not the story within the story of each of the men, but the story of the jester's cheating wife and her lovers, is that all four men are pardoned. That's right. the moral anecdote that Scheherazade tells, if you're willing to parse out the fact that there are four stories told within that one story. You discover the moral anecdote is somebody was cheated on, somebody had the opportunity to kill the people who were responsible for it, and didn't. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that and that is one of the kind of breaking points for them. Up to this, up to that point, um, there has been in the play up to this point there there is not really any uh, affection shown between the king and Scheherazade up until that the end of that story and that story ends the act and at the end of the act they're they're quite affectionate they're kissing at the end of the act to the point that like doing uh the, the sister shoot I'm spacing on her name again um Dunyazad like ushers the audience out like oh we we need to le- we need to give them some time <laughs> we need, they need some time alone so go to intermission so like that that story is a breaking point for the king on his and journey. And I just love the way that connection is made. It It is the result of uh, the sequence of really five stories, if you include the meta story that the four stories of the of the lovers are told in. They each tell a story. The first two are more serious stories. The second two are very, very funny. Uh, the story of the wonderful bag is so funny. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Mary Zimmerman intends you to improv a lot of it, which is amazing. And <laughs> I, just, uh, just a great story. But the story that ends the act is a uh, story about a man who's about to be married. And as he's at his wedding feast, he just lets out this incredibly long fart. And the the stage directions are awesome, which is right. that the one actor is supposed to make the fart noise, and then as that actor runs out of breath, another actor is supposed to pick it up, and then another <laughs> actor is supposed to pick it up after that. That that right. is funny on its own, just as a as a physical auditory piece of humor. That is funny to have three people play the fart and have it go on that long. And the story goes on and on. He's so embarrassed that he runs away for years and years. He comes back to his kingdom after some time and that day in history the day he let out this incredibly long fart has become like a date on the calendar and people like reference it like oh you were born on the day of the fart yeah and so he's so embarrassed that he leaves forever that's the story i mean right that's just a small funny purely comic there's not a lot of moral anecdote in that story itself but what it does is causes these three people witnessing the story scheherazade the king and her younger sister to be rolling on the floor laughing they are falling over laughing and you can see why that is a hilarious story and they're laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and that causes the king to reach out in in tender affection to Scheherazade not just having her night after night because she's the woman that was brought to him but as a result of a real human connection something being funny causing you to double over laugh so hard your gut aches That's what causes him to reach out and kiss her, have this affectionate human moment that causes then the sister to play out a great joke for the end of the act, which is, everybody, why don't we give them some alone time and go off to their mission? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's it. I absolutely agree with that. And in addition, you also have the removal of the threat in that moment too. This in that same moment where they they come together, they're being affectionate towards each other. Scheherazade manages to get the knife out of the king's hand. And this knife has been a, a very present threat throughout this play. Pretty much since since uh, Scheherazade got in the room, the king has a knife to her throat to the point that she's like telling stories uh, with, with the knife at her throat the whole time. So not only does this laugh release the tension of not having laughed, of not having the human connection with someone for a long time, it releases the tension in the room for all three of the characters, at least for the moment, the threat of death, immediate death, has been removed as a result of this story. 
So that, that ends Act 1. We, we joined back in Act 2, and we have moved on quite a bit in the time that these characters spend together. Act 2 begins with, again, a very, very Mary Zimmerman concept. There's a chorus involved in this play. The actors are all on stage all the time. So this chorus uh, narrates us that this is how the Act 2 starts. But when the 501st night had come, and then they jump into the scene... And so 500 nights have gone by, more than a year of Scheherazade keeping herself alive night to night, uh, winning over in this slow, long, slow, uh, slow, slow and long <laughs> process of winning over the king. And the 500th night has come, and she's still telling stories. And they, they just keep getting better. <laughs> Like the stories in the second act are just as good, if not more deep than than the first act. There's uh, right off the top of it is uh, the story of sympathy, the learned. And and, and I mean, something to note as we're recounting these stories, it's really tough to recount these stories in this format and uh, get you to appreciate just how awesome these stories are. They're right. The telling of them is incredible. If you know Mary yeah. Zimmerman, you know they're poetic and filled with incredible images and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and just so so well uh, balanced, you can picture them, and and it must be so cool. I've seen the pictures I've seen of this play are the actors sitting on the stage and just kind of moving fluidly throughout. There is there's stage directions that call for this. Characters, there are no doors there in this play, and yet people come in and out of doors in the play and and eg- enter and exit scenes. They flow between stories at some point. So this like this organic kind of fluid storytelling where we're moving between stories is just so impressive and impossible to recap with words for you right now. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's 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 a lot of image. It's beautiful, incredible image throughout the story that begins act two is the story of sympathy, the learned. And in my (laughs) script, it's more than 15 pages, which is more than 10 percent of the script. Yeah. And it's what an odd story to occupy so much time. Huge chunk of the script, right? Like, it's it, it's a story of this woman who is more learned than anyone else in the kingdom, essentially. And in so many things, too. It's not like it's not like she's the, the, the wisest person or the best astronomer or <laughs> the great best in theology. She just knows all the things and can debate all the things with everyone. And it's, yeah, you're right. It's pages and pages of her uh, sharing riddles, sharing questions, answering questions questions and riddles with the greatest sages of the land. So yeah, so she arrives at this kingdom, Sympathy is the character, character's name, and she arrives and she says basically, bring all your best scholars, I'm going to win their robes, their symbol of authority, one by one by beating them, by answering all their questions and then outsmarting them. And one by one she does. There are just pages and pages of her being asked various questions about the religion of Islam, about what people understood about the physical sciences at the time, uh, about art, uh, various riddles all kinds of things and and one after another she wins out in all of these encounters that are basically just question and answer and the the drama of you know is this woman intelligent enough to answer these riddles is part of what's interesting some of it some of the actual question and answer discussion that is had is interesting especially if you're interested in things like islam or in in riddle telling and answering and she wins out all of this but throughout all this reoccurring character of the king harun al rashid is is watching and observing what is going on and his uh in involvement in what eventually occurs with sympathy is, is maybe a little bit of what keeps the audience with the story. So she beats out three scholars and then Harun al-Rashid takes over to try to question her. Yeah. And, and his line, I mean, it's, it's a, a back and forth much more than the other ones have been. It's kind of one liners back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and it gets to the end and she answers all the questions flawlessly and she's she's able to kind of stand toe-to-toe with everything the king can throw at her. And at the end of it, uh, he tries to possess her at the end of it. His final question is, will you marry me? Like, will you be my wife? And her answer is, you know, a three steps around, but no. <laughs> no is the answer. So I think... 
I think that's the introduction to what the journey Shahrazad is wanting the king to go on is through this next phase, which is, I think, has to do a lot with possession. Right. And the question of whether this king can possess her is one. But there's also this kind of long game that Shahrazad is playing of the 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 king in the meta framework, Shahrazad's king, his opinion of women. Because Sympathy the Learned is a profoundly intelligent, empathetic, strong woman character who is very hard for the king to just say, I hate all women, all women are evil, when confronted with a story about someone like Sympathy the Learned, notably named Sympathy. Yeah, I, I, I think there's also like a tertiary level to this, and it has to do with the time in which this play was written. This play was written in, or performed in 1994, you said, right? Or 92? Um, yeah, what, early 90s was when it was first performed, 92, in Chicago, 94, in New York. And that is right after the first Gulf War. Um, and, and, and this play, this scene kicks off act two, right? So let's say you're an audience member who has made it to a play titled the Arabian nights right after the Gulf war, right? You go through the first act, which is just this, this kind of delightful in a lot of ways, a storytelling act. And then you're introduced to this next act, which is a treatise in a lot of ways, or or just a, not a treatise, but like an introduction to a lot of things about Islam and a lot of things about this culture. And so so also, in addition to, uh, uh, oh, shoot, what's her name? <laughs> the, the character's name. Sympathy. Sympathy. Thank you. In addition to Sympathy trying to explain to the king, in addition to Saharazad trying to explain to her king, I think Zimmerman is kind of explaining to the audience as well that this, I mean, these these beliefs can be known a little bit deeper and 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 interacted with on a deeper level than maybe what your knee jerk reaction is. Definitely, and and the stories continue in that vein through a, a whole rest of the script, eventually ending with, as you mentioned, these six stories told on top of each other. And it, the stage directions are written so that you can figure out how to piece all these stories on top and when they begin. But they're literally told on top of each other simultaneously. They're not individual stories told really quickly one after another. Six stories told on top of each other. And, and we've skipped a few between where we were and where we are, but right, we only right. have so much time. Right. Yeah, yeah. These these six stories uh, are, the, are the time acceleration, and they're all... <laughs> I imagine they're 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 kind of hard to follow in a live production because they are one over the other. But it's it provides a kind of uh, unique challenge for your your acting company, your ensemble, to try to draw some focus to some of these things because there's I mean it, it's it's a fast summation of six stories that all have to do with uh, similar characters, but also this. Uh, I don't know. It feels like there's more mythology in these. There's genies in these, and there's more magic involved in these stories. Yeah, that is true. A lot of the other stories involved humans and their relationships with each other and how they abuse and, and heal and forgive each other. And you're right that these six stories are a little bit more magical in their telling. For example, the first story, The Prince and the Tortoise, is about these three brothers, all who are going to be married just by shooting an arrow at random and marrying the person that's nearest where their arrow falls. And the third brother's arrow falls near a tortoise. And so he marries this <laughs> tortoise, and uh, eventually the tortoise turns into a princess. I mean, that, right. that sounds like something out of a more Western fairy tale, right? We, that's, right? That's a very familiar story. There are other stories that involve, as you said, genies that fly around and bring lovers together that meet and grant wishes in a more traditional style. There's there's stories of like a mother who knows that somehow like glimpses the future well enough to know that despite the fact that one of her kids is going to do some really awful things that they're young, that that kid's younger sister should just trust them and do whatever they say, 
because eventually the story turns out that they become uh, kings and queens, basically. Yeah, by, by like accident, by like the brother accidentally killing a ghoul. Killing that, many people. Yeah, but he, he kills a lot Some of people like along the way. farm girls die, and yeah. And so all these stories are what Mary, Mary Zimmerman calls the confusion of stories, are all told in one large mishmash, kind of built into what I imagine is the spine of this confusion of stories is this poem that this prince and princess, what they're, they're called the sleepers because they awake and say part of the story and then go back to the poem and then go back to sleep, uh, kind of one after another, they say to each other. And, and it's instructed that the end part of this poem be the end of the confusion of stories and, and is has to be recognizable and heard by the audience. And the end of this poem is... Sleeper, oh, let them burn, let my heart flower, fed on the rose and santal of your flesh, burst like a poppy in this solitude, in this cool silence. If you're a Bible person, it's very Song of Solomon imagery, I and mean, it's it's very uh, passionate, physical uh, reflections on each other through yeah. the whole poem. Which, which cues... The king's line at the end of this cacophony, right? Where everything happens. Uh, that's the last line that we hear. There is silence. Characters are on the floor, presumably. Some of them. Some of them are like sleeping. There's characters around from the previous stories. And the king stands up and says, Shahrazad, marvelous girl, you have lifted the veil from my heart. And that, that feels like an ending, but it's not an ending, is it? No, the story doesn't end there. They have reached the 1,000th night. So the other thing that happens during the confusion of story is that different actors are saying, and on the you know, 999th night, and on the 991st night, and, on the and they're counting upwards through all these stories told on top of each other, and the end of this story is the end of that poem, and then the instruction that they've reached the 1,000th night. They've been counting up to the 1,000th night. And on the 1,000th night... The king is all in, man. He says that he he's in love with her. He doesn't want her to ever go away. And she says, "Okay, but I have one more story for you to tell. We're gonna you you can make it a thousand and one nights. It's all good. A thousand and one nights. A thousand and one. Here's here's my final story. A thousand and one nights. And what an interesting choice for a final story. Yeah, it's I I really like it. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because. Because I, I I had a pretty good or I enjoyed my reaction to it on the, on reading through the script this time, um, but it's this it's the story of a musician who meets the son of a famous uh, again we have uh, the uh, the king character from yeah, the, the story the reoccurring king character Harun al Rashid, yep yep who introduces a musician to the son son or grandson, well the musician is the grandson of another famous musician, and the king's. Uh, the king's famous musician in his kingdom is called Ishak of Mosul. He's like an instructor, a teacher of music in the in Harun al-Rashid's kingdom. And the king has brought the grandson of another famous poet-musician to town. And so Ishak of Mosul comes to meet this grandson of the famous musician and says, well, hey, can you, what, what's the best song your relative ever, you know, wrote, played, imagined? And so this this relative does this music, it plays it, sings it, imagines it, and we don't hear it. Yeah, which is I think just such a perfect choice <laughs> because there's there's no way you can what what this musician is set up is kind of this this the grandfather of this grandson was someone who like kind of had access to God basically and could could write music that was this the through line of the universe and uh, I kind and, of imagine it like Salieri meeting Mozart as I'm trying yeah. to kind of create this character right and in, uh, mostly an instructor meeting just like Mozart's grandson just somebody who had the gift the genius yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the way that uh, Ishak of Masul reacts to it. He's like, "Oh my gosh, this is awesome!" Uh, the 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 grandson says, "Like I can write it down for you or something." Do you want me to? <laughs> I'm leaving tomorrow, and Ishak says, "No, no, I've got the I I can I can hold a lot of music in my head, having just heard it once. Uh, it's mine now. Thank you so much. Bye." And and, it's, and he's clear that this hearing this music, this song, which was like 
it's like his 43rd song or something, you know, very yeah. specific like that. And, and he hears this, this particular piece, and it, it blows him away. He says, Time was frozen in my blood, and I left the prison of my skin and became other than myself. How can I describe? How can I how? That's his reaction yeah. to the music. Life-changing music. Mm-hmm. So, so then what's his response? His response to this life-changing music is he goes home. He shuts all the shutters. He's like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to play this music. It's going to be great. I'm gonna, it's going to be mine. And it's, it's going to be it, like, this is, this is mine now. I'm going to enjoy it. And so he sits down and he gets out his lute and he tries to play it. And he can't. He can't remember it. And and he says, "I am I am the type of person who can retain a, a hundred couplets and their melody when I have listened once with a negligent ear." Um, and and he's 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 a person who can internalize this kind of music, but something is different about this time. He can't remember it. He can't play the the level of music that he hears in his in his ear and in his soul. So he goes searching. He he seeks out uh, to get this music back. He desperately needs it. He, he searches all over for it. Eventually he goes on a long journey. He comes across three women who are, I, I would guess they're some sort of mystical characters of some sort. Or just interact with them as three random women, but they clearly have some sort of higher connection, higher power. They claim to right. have just been in the room when the, the music was played. Yeah, yeah, and they're introduced by him saying suddenly three young women appeared from nowhere. So I think the assumption that, you know, these are almost like some sort of spirits is is a good one to make. And they say that they know the song, that they can teach him the song, that they they heard it, they have it, they can teach it to him. But there's a condition, right? Like, they're not just going to teach it to him. What what do they kind of hold back from him? Right. Their lesson is that, look, you have been stingy with your music. You've written a lot of music, but you're not sharing it with anybody. You don't teach it to your students. You don't play it for people. You're hoarding it up, and no one can experience it. And if we're going to teach you this music, you got to change. you got to start sharing this music and your music with the world. And, of course, he's desperate for the song, so he agrees, and they sing it for him. And he has that same life-changing, beautiful feeling of experiencing this music again. And there's this, there's this, there's this mesh moment here where there's a couple moments where the where uh, Shaharazad's king, uh, King Sharyar, is what I'm I'm using. Um, interacts with the story. One, I don't think we'll have time to talk about, so read the play. It's one where he actually plays a character throughout the whole story. Um, but in this moment, this last moment, he steps in to when Ishak is, like, dancing to this music with the three women and moving with this music. The king, like, steps into it and gets to be present with this music and act within this music in, in one of these weird kind of magical moments that this play can produce. And that's where he ends. I mean, he ends interacting with this heavenly, you know, divine music. Then he immediately notices that Scheherazade's father is here with the shroud again. Yeah. And, 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 and previously, when, when he shows up, there's kind of two things that happen every time the father shows up. Scheherazade says... My father is here. I guess I have to stop the story. And he says, no, no, no. I guess he'll have to wait another night. So that's that's the first thing that always happens. The second thing is she always asks, can I can I talk to him real quick? And he always has said no. He says, no, no, no. Stop. Keep Either keep telling the story or you can't talk to him. Just stay here until I'm done with the day and pick up the story next time. This time is different. Right. First of all, it's different because he notices the father. He yep. says, look, your father is here. And then what's different about that second part? And he, he, he becomes empathetic. He says, how much has he suffered in all this time? He's not really conscious, I think, of how much time has passed at this point. But how long has he been without his family, his daughters, to be with, to take care of, to, to be a family around? And not how knowing if they'll live or die. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah, the stakes are so high as well and and he becomes aware of the fact 
that he has hurt not just her father, right? This is also his wazir. This is a trusted confidant, a friend in 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 many situations this this that this rank would have. So so all of a sudden this story has produced for possibly the first time an empathetic response out of the king within the first time within this play. And I think that the difference in his, the king's reactions from the thousandth night to the thousandth and first night is why Scheherazade continues. She tells this, you know, story after story. We get to this mass confusion of stories. It ends with these beautiful poems in the thousandth night. And the king says, you're safe. I am not, never going to kill you. I want to be with you forever. I'm in love with you. And she's created in him an attraction to her and a desire to be with her and a recognition that he can't continue in the pattern that he's in. But on that thousandth and first night, she, she pushes through. And on that thousandth and first night, the king empathizes with someone who's not just her. That storytelling power has created in the king a connection beyond just Scheherazade. Right, and and he knows that he has to, he kind of has to share because that's the other the other part of that that response on the thousandth night is uh, I, you're you're safe. I love you. You must never leave my side. We must always be together. We must always be together. And and the, the response on the thousandth and first night is oh oh go to your dad. Jeez, <laughs> like, like, like you, it's time. It's, I, I, I am able to let you go and be of help to someone else as well. And it's, it's not a, not a possession thing again. Again, right, because that thousand night is possessive. It's, I'd never, you can never be apart from me. We're always right. going to be together. I'm so, and then the thousandth and first night isn't. And what does Scheherazade reveal on that thousandth and first night that she doesn't reveal on the thousandth night? Beautiful, touching moment. This is akin to the end of Metamorphosis, really. Mm -hmm. What does she reveal? Well, it's just a floodgate then of like, okay, so you're open to empathy? Because we have more people who need your empathy right now. (laughs) She reveals that over a thousand and one nights, they've had children. And and that there's 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 uh, a, an older child and then twins that she brings in and she she shows him that they have people to take care of now and people that need you to take care of them. And this is really really a, a notable important moment in the journey of the king that I didn't really catch fully until I had experienced the play a couple of times. In the beginning of the play, one of the things that is key to the reason why he's killing these women every dawn is that he's also killing his seed inside of them, right? He's killing any chance for there to be children. So he's killing his ability to make any kind of connection with a broader future world, to have heirs, to have descendants, to live on past his own life. And at the end of the play, then he has children. Scheherazade's stories have not only kept her alive and created empathy in the king, they've created new life. Yeah, and connected connected him back to the world, back to his ability to to regenerate, to to become more still, uh, and 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 given him purpose in that. Now. At the end of all this, that again, we feel like, okay, that's the end of the play. <laughs> but it's not, is it? There's even more. And it's and it's a weird ending to the play. Or at least uh, in, in what we've been experiencing so far, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, so the end of the play is a bookend to what occurs at the beginning of the play, which is before all this stuff with the king and Scheherazade, the ensemble is instructed to set up the stage, to unroll carpets, to create the environment, and then to create the sound of wind over the desert. Um, you know, built, bringing the audience into Baghdad, to the area, to the kingdom, to the time. And then at the end of the play, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, the whole stage direction for you, so that you can have a sense of what happens. This is so... Uh, this is after the the uh, family has been brought together, the sister has been taken care of, the father has been taken care of, all is well. Then the company looks up, then sinks to the ground. The sound of the wind rises and everyone begins to roll away, first slowly, then all at once, like dead leaves in the wind. Some performers pile on top of one another against the back wall, others are strewn about, caught on the ottomans or the instruments. The sound of the wind continues for a moment, then stops. Everyone is still. And, and, and notably, 
with all over over all of that is a couple actors who are producing uh, air raid sirens noises with with just vocal patterns. So you have the 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 fast forward. Then it's like we reround for a little bit. We traveled back in time to when Baghdad was this place, and then at the end of the play. We're fast forwarding and we're, we're seeing it, ha- uh, all of this kind of melt away to the, to the soundtrack of air raid sirens. Right. I mean, it is the, it is the right, like you say, the fast forward, we're brought back into a world where this part of the world is what it is today, which is a war zone where air raid sirens blare, things are blown away. The, what is created and has been there for thousands of years is being torn apart and left scattered in the wind. Yeah. So and, and, and we just came from this place of vibrancy, of story, of such a good, good ending. And, and then, then this is the ending that we walk out with. Right. I think I think still the retinal image. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm making up that term, but I, I like using it. The retinal image we have, I think, is still. This play is is beautiful and colorful and all sorts of uh, of vibrancy, especially at the end of the play. So that's still stuck in our minds. But there's this sense of, I don't know, maybe uh, loss still at the end of it or barrenness at the end of it. That that at least the playwright, I think, is trying to evoke for this last image. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I love the use of the word loss that you did it there's a sense of just profound loss of sadness at this is what has existed in this part of the world and in really in every part of the world, this vibrancy of culture, of story, of human empathy and, and the power of the myths that we tell each other to teach, to heal, to bring us about. And then there's a, it's not, it's not so strongly pointed political commentary as much as it is almost creating that empathy in us that Scheherazade creates in the King by stories of loss and healing. Mary Zimmerman says, you know, there's something like that going on in in the world right now. This, this loss of this part of the world's uh, or, or at least of our perception of this part of the world as being anything other than a war zone. Maybe that's what the loss is, is our own perception. Yeah, it's it's not a political critique as much as it is a human critique. It's It, it forces you to, and, and it's literally human because they're, the, the people have slinked to the ground, slinked to the ground, that's the word I'm going to say, and rolled up against the furniture, right? Like wind blowing them away. So, so you, you, you're, yeah, you're they become along. things, right? I mean, they, they become not humans, which have agency against the wind, but just pieces of object that can be blown around. And and then, though, I would argue for a second beat of that. It feels like they're object and then they're blown around. They're caught up against things. But then they're strewn across the stage. Human bodies are strewn across the stage at the end of this. And what a, what a terrible, powerful image for the end of this play. And, and challenging perceptions for, 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 again, this last image as we leave this play. Look, a play like this has so much in it. We, we can only scratch the surface. We oh. really gave you a bird's eye view this time. Sometimes we like to dig in so much more, but there's just too much to dig into. Right, right. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, Mary Zimmerman is a master storyteller. The way that she is able to bring out character journeys and images and metaphors and repeating action. I mean, her use of, you know, Jackson and I are from religious environments, so we would say liturgy or repetition yeah. and patterning of language is unrivaled. Absolutely. And and just so challenging as a storyteller, too, right? Like this this play exemplifies not just theater, but storytelling. And, and and the art of storytelling, the culture of storytelling, what stories can do. It, it is probably unrivaled in, in its ability to argue the point that stories and engaging with stories, telling stories, has real good that it can do in the world. A real change can be brought about because of the telling of stories. So I, 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 I would love to be in this play at some point <laughs> or, or be a part of this play at some point. It's, it's such a good, good script for that. But 
If you out there have been in this play or read this play, know one of the stories that we left out and want to talk about it, we would love to keep having that conversation with you. And we have the ability to do it through the magic of the internet. So find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, comment on this post there, or just post on any of our pages. All the usernames are at NoScriptPodcast for those social media pr- platforms. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all of those areas, and we'd love to keep talking about The Arabian Nights by Mary Zimmerman with you. If you liked this episode or some of our other episodes, one of the great things you can do to partner with us is share it. Tell people about it. Share it on your social media. That helps us out if you keep expanding our continually expanding community. So thanks ahead to the time for that. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. One of the best ways to find it is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter every Monday where a link is posted to the new episode as they come out. Also, for those of you who have stuck around all the way to this point and have not just switched it out with the music, you get a little bit of an Easter egg. We're announcing our next themed month coming up in a month from now, right? Yeah, we're approaching it. It's just a few weeks out. We're going to move into a theme month, two seasons now. We've done a month of scripts focused around something specific. The very first month, we did a series of musicals. Second month, we did four plays by Arthur Miller. This season, we are doing four plays that have a connection of theme or imagery or content. We are doing Magic Month. Yeah, Magic Month. So we will, we might uh, start kind of uh, getting out some of the scripts to you that we plan to do. So if you want to read along to Magic Month, we'll see. But uh, coming up soon, that'll be happening. And what a great script to kind of uh, clue you into that with the Arabian Nights that we talked about today, a play filled with magic. So if, if you like the conversation today around this kind of uh, uh, magical uh, or ethereal-ish storytelling aspect, there's going to be more to come in Magic Month coming up. We're looking forward to it. Until then, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. I'm Jackson Nikolai. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. We'll see you next week. See ya.